unbelievers to use the Bible, there is a simple way to do it. And the simple way to do it is to begin to talk to them about something that's a sin that they don't think is a sin. Or about a lifestyle that they don't think is wrong that you think the Bible teaches is wrong. Or critique a belief system or critique a thought or an idea or criticize any behavior that isn't universally criticized and step back and wait. And almost immediately, they'll quote from Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and say, the Bible says, don't judge. Is that what the Bible says? Yes and no. All right? That's what the Bible says, but it says more than that. It doesn't just say don't judge. It goes further than that. And so tonight, we're going to talk about, okay, what does the Bible say about our jobs as judges? Okay? What does the Bible say about our job as people who are judging? Now, uh, it, this is one of the most quoted sayings of Jesus. Um, this is one of the most misquoted sayings of Jesus. What is interesting is most people think that this is one of the shortest verses in the Bible, right? Because they think it's just two words, don't judge. But there's only one verse in the Bible that's only two words, and it's not don't judge. It has a lot that comes after it. In fact, it's found in the middle of a section of Scripture where Jesus is doing a lot of teaching. Now, Matthew chapter 7, what is that in the middle of? Sermon on the Mount, right? You have the Beatitudes at the beginning. You've got the city on a hill illustration. You've got the uh, don't do your deeds in front of men lest they think you're boastful. Uh, you've got at the end of chapter 7, you've got the whole discussion of those that built on the rock and those that built on the sand. In between, you've got Jesus saying, it says, don't commit adultery. But I say, even if you look at a woman with lust, you've created adultery in your heart. I know the Bible says don't murder, but I say if you think of someone with anger and you have this bitterness in your heart for them, then you have created murder. And so you've got all of this happening in this book and so or in the sermon. It's the most extended teaching of Jesus that we have. And right in the middle of that, chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then this phrase that people like to talk about sometimes. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, I believe that Jesus is teaching a spiritual truth here. But he's also using humor to do it. Okay? We're going to talk about that in a second. I mean, if you look a couple of verses later, he starts talking about dogs and swine. I mean, he says, don't give the dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They may trample them and then come back and tear you to pieces. So Jesus is giving these illustrations, and he's using something called hyperbole. Somebody tell me what hyperbole is. Exaggeration to make a point. Okay? Um, and count on my teachers out there to do that, right? Exaggeration to make a point. And so you kind of overstate the case in order to make a point. Uh, there was a, um, a, a seven-year-old boy that was reading this with his dad, and in the middle of reading it, he just started laughing. And the dad thought, well, that's inappropriate. We're reading the Bible. You're not supposed to just start laughing. What, what's going on? And he said, Daddy, it's funny. Well, why is it funny? Because nobody could have a log in their eye, Daddy. It's too big. And we sometimes miss that kind of thought. 
right? Now, Jesus is making some humor here. In fact, I think Jesus was probably pretty funny. I mean, we don't get it because we have first century humor being presented, and we are not first century Jews. At least most of us aren't first century Jews, right? I mean, we, we don't get their humor. Um, anybody ever been at a family function and you start retelling a story that you think is really funny and for some reason there's an outsider or a new member that comes in and they just don't think it's that funny? Anybody ever done that? Or, or you, maybe as a husband and a wife, something happens and you laugh out loud and together and you think it's hilarious and your kids go, that is not funny, right? Because they don't get it. They don't have the background. They don't have the context. And we don't get a lot of Jesus' jokes, if you will, because they don't have the background. But I, I think they probably went around some and said, did you hear what Jesus said about a, a camel and an eye of an eye? He can't do that. Did you hear what he said about the two-by-four in a guy's eye? And he was, he was rolling today. So Jesus teaching about the speck and the salt, you know, the, the sawdust and the plank comes from a carpentry background where he dealt with those kind of things. Now, we have sayings that are similar to what he said here. Because what he basically says is, be careful how you judge other people, that you're not reflecting things you think about yourself onto them. In New England, there was a phrase that was developed that said, it's like the pot calling the kettle black, right? Um, in uh, Norway, they developed a saying that said, those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, right? There's some lesser known ones that you may not know about. The Arab culture has one where they say, camel cannot see the crookedness of its own neck. The Germans say, one donkey chides another for being long-eared. The Uzbek people say the man with no pants laughs at the man with just a hole in his pants. And then perhaps my favorite comes from the Japanese. The sleep in one's eyes shouldn't laugh at the snot in another's nose. All right? So it's a little different, but same basic idea, right? And so the question is, what did Jesus mean when he spoke these words about judging? What did he mean? Well, one of the first things he's going to say to us is sometimes people will say well who made you judge well the truth is jesus did jesus intends for us to judge and the truth is even people that say you don't have the right to judge are judging you're making assumptions about what is right and wrong i was thinking about that when i saw a clip today from a television show that aired last night and I'm going to play it for you, and it's between an interviewer and a preacher. And it's of a preacher that I've been critical of in times, but I like the fact he's trying to make a stand here. It's a guy, he only, I mean, he doesn't care if I criticize him or not. Eight, seven or eight million people watch him every week, all right? Um, but Joel Osteen was on Piers Morgan last night. And everybody know who Piers Morgan is? He's the new Larry King, okay? And he's trying to get the biggest guest on, and he was on last night, and this clip's been on the internet for a couple of days, but um, I want you to watch, and then we're going to talk about a little bit at the end, about the interaction between the two, all right? One of the moral mazes for any preacher, I think, a Christian preacher in particular, is homosexuality. And there's been lots of coverage in the news recently, the, the Don't Ask, Don't Tell uh, campaign, obviously. Um, 
What is your view? Because it seems to have changed depending on the interview that I've read or seen. What is your view? Is homosexuality a sin in your eyes? Yes, I've always believed, Pierce, the scripture shows that it's a sin. But, you know, I'm not one of those that are out there to bash homosexuals and tell them that they're terrible people and all that. I mean, there are other sins in the Bible, too. I think sometimes the church, and I don't mean this critically, but we focus on one issue or two issues, and there's plenty of other ones. So I don't believe his uh, homosexuality is God's best for a person's life. I mean, sin means to miss the mark. But I don't believe being prideful or being, you know, lying or you, you don't normally talk about sin. That's the first time I've actually heard you spell yeah. it out. Well, you know, it's, it's almost it's, like you've come ready for that question and thought, I'm actually going to say this. Well, I'm going to say it's a sin. I think I'm, I'm grown in my, my knowledge. I mean, those first interviews, I mean, this was all new to me. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't go to seminary. I wasn't raised, I was raised in this, but not in, on front of the camera. But I think this point, people say I don't, I don't talk about sin, but I do talk about how we live our life and making good choices. And at the end of every one of our services, I talk about, the, I believe, the greatest sin, and that's to miss the mark of, of not knowing your Creator through so Christ. when you see civil partnerships being sanctioned, you think that's wrong? Well, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's wrong, but I'm not going to bash those people. I'm not going to be against those people. They're, they're good people. I say it's wrong because that's what the Scripture says. And you know what? I, I choose to live my life by what I, what I read in the Scripture. You see, I mean, if I had, say, a friend of mine like Elton John, watching this at home, who with his partner, his civil partner, David Furnish, have just uh, had a surrogate child, which was born on Christmas Day. And they're going to be pretty angry what they hear. They're going to think, who are you to call them a sinner? Yeah. Why are they sinners in your eyes? Well, it's stri- strictly, strictly back to what the Scripture says. I mean, I can't, I can't grab one part and say, God wants you to be blessed and live an abundant life and not grab the other part that says, you know what, you know, live, live that kind of life. So... I just, you know, it comes back to the scripture. I'm not the judge. You know, God didn't tell me to go around judging everybody. I'm not so sure, though, you see. I think you are a kind of judge. And I think you can't abrogate that responsibility. I think because of your influence, there's 7 million, 8 million viewers every Sunday. When you say things like homosexuality is a sin, it's a big statement to make. You are a judge. And you're encouraging your congregation to believe that. All right, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, it's obvious Piers Morgan doesn't agree with Joel Osteen, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious in the discussion. And whether or not you agree with how Joel Osteen went about arguing it or trying to, I think perhaps the best point of that whole argument was made by Piers Morgan. And he didn't intend to make it this way. But he basically was saying that, yes, you are a judge. Because you are determining right from wrong. And you're telling people, what do you think is the difference between right and wrong? Now, what Piers Morgan wouldn't say on the other side is, in the same way he is judging, determining what is right and wrong. So to say that we could never judge is just a ridiculous statement. Because what is meant here in Scripture is that judging doesn't mean condemnation as we've come to understand it. What Jesus is saying here is that we must be able to assess right from wrong good from bad, that we must be discerning, that we must be able to make a, 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 a call about what is true and what is not. Um, I, I found it interesting this week studying this that Eli and his uh, class, what they have had of it, the four, four or five days they've been in class since Christmas, right? They've started talking about opinion versus fact. 
And I said, well, what is opinion? We, he spelled it for me. He said, Dad, do you know what O-P-I-N-I-O-N spells? I said, well, that spells opinion. He goes, right. I said, well, what's an opinion, Eli? And he said, well, it's what somebody believes, but it could be true or it might not be true. I said, that's good. He said, and it's different than a fact. I said, well, what's a fact? He goes, well, that's something that's always true. And in our lives, judging is trying to figure out what is true and right and just. Several years ago, a woman in Oklahoma sued her church. They practiced church discipline in a biblical way, asked her to leave the church because she was in an adulterous relationship, admitted to it, and would not change. It got a little bit of national attention. When you sue your church, you get national attention. Now, I don't recommend any of you try to get natural, national attention that way, all right? But it gets national attention. She ended up on the Phil Donahue show. You may remember the Phil Donahue show. I mean, there are people today that, that are upset at Oprah's show. and Oprah, I don't watch Oprah's show, but Phil Donahue was pre-Oprah. And Phil had a worse sense about Christianity than Oprah. But she's on the show, and they had the preacher on the show, and they were trying to cause the confrontation, as those hosts do. And Phil yelled out, Didn't Jesus say, Judge not, and you won't be judged? Basically, his idea was, You just live how you want to live. I'll live how I want to live. Everything will work out. But Jesus didn't say that. In fact, Jesus wants us to evaluate others. You make judgments all the time. You come to a four-way stop and you judge whether or not you have time to make it across the intersection. Some of you judge you don't, so you gas it real hard, right, to get across. You make judgments all the time about um, different things. Employers and evaluate employees to judge who's worthy of a promotion. Um, um, people that are selling things make judgments about clients and whether or not they're going to buy and how they can push. Uh, schools judge performance all the time. I get a folder every Monday from Eli's school that has grades on it. And they determine what is right and wrong on those papers. There has never been a paper that I got back that said, well, my thought was that this answer was wrong, but Eli really thought it was right, and so I gave him credit for the answer. Right? That ain't come back yet. It's just right or wrong. There are judgments that are made. And Jesus says that we are to be people that... Just a little bit later in chapter 7, he says, By their fruit you will recognize them. Every good tree bears good fruit. Now, how are you going to determine whether it's good fruit or not if you're not making some sort of judgment? It's a judgment call. Well, that's good fruit or that's not good fruit. They're, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. It's discernment. It, discernment's one of those good old-fashioned preaching words. And sometimes we use it without understanding what it means. Discerning means to be able to determine the lay of the situation and to make a wise decision based on what you see. I read one of Aesop's fables this week. Aesop's fables, if you read them in the original, can be kind of gory sometimes. This is a story of a lion who got too slow to be able to hunt down his prey. And so he went into a cave and announced to all the other animals that he was sick and he would love for them to come visit him. 
So he would wait in the cave, and when an animal would come by and visit, he would pounce on them and eat them. One day a fox went by and stood outside the cave and said, How are you doing in there, lion? You feeling okay? He says, I'm not feeling real good, but why don't you come in? And the fox says, I'm not coming in. I see lots of footprints going into the cave. I see no footprints coming out. And for us as believers, even with other people, we need to be praying that the Lord will give us a discerning spirit. Now, the key there is to understand that in our day and time, the word judgment, judging, has come to mean condemnation in personal life. Don't you judge me means don't you condemn me. Now, it's still in our judicial system, it's deciding right from wrong. But in a personal way, you don't have the right to judge me means you don't have the right to tell me how to live my life. Well, here's the second thing. We must do it with caution. Because it is easier to criticize others than to see our own faults. The message paraphrase of this little passage says it this way. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. I like that picture. The idea there literally is straight from the golden rule that we are to do unto others as we would want them to do unto us. And so when we are evaluating them, determining how the Lord is working in their lives, determining how they're living their lives, we need to do it with an understanding that we must first look inside to make sure that we're doing it out of a pure intention and heart and that there aren't issues that we need to deal with first. One pastor has said that every church has vultures. Do we have vultures around here or do we have buzzards? Buzzards? There, I was driving down... Um, Caldwell. I was driving up past Moss Wright Park. Now, right over there by 12 Stones Golf Course the other day, there were like 20 of those birds. And it is a, that's creepy, isn't it? Uh, those of you been to Brazil, right? We, we work in an area where, I don't, I, I don't know if those, I guess those are buzzards too. They're, yeah, they look the same. In fact, we got a little concerned about our construction crew one day because the buzzards were circling them. Just waiting, it looked like, for one of them to drop, all right? Somebody, this pastor said that every church has those vultures. That when they see a member of their congregation begin to struggle or make a misstep, that they immediately want to swoop in for the kill. Pick up the remnants of what's there. Scripture says that's not what we're about that we need to be doing it for restoration purposes. And it is easy to get blinded to our own stuff. I read about a preacher this week that was uh, doing a sermon on the evils of smoking. And he had a lady on the front row that was amening. Just amen, preacher. He, one of his lines in the sermon apparently was, smoking won't send you to hell, but it'll make you smell like you've already been there. That sounds like an old-fashioned, you know, and she, amen, preacher. And so he got through with the sermon, and he went to the back to get the handshakes, and she took out a bit of snuff and stuck it in her mouth and went to the back. He got back there and said, preacher, I'm glad you preached on the sin of smoking tonight. And he said, how in the world can you 
tell me you appreciated that when you've got snuff in your mouth. It's obvious. She said, because it has got to be a sin for anybody to smoke something that tastes this good. Now, she was obviously blinded. Some of you will get that at bedtime tonight, all right? It was obvious that she was blinded from her own interaction with something and condemned somebody else's, all right? Here's what often happens, is that we see the faults we don't like about ourselves very easily in other people. You know, there are a lot of things they don't tell you about parenting until you get involved. One thing, for instance, is that even good kids, it is almost impossible to get them to do homework. I mean, every night, maybe your kids, maybe my kids are just terrible. My son, who, you know, yesterday was one of those days, he won the, the citizenship award for exemplary character in his second grade class. And then we had a knockdown drag out over writing five sentences for homework. I was very close to saying, I'm about to go get that citizenship award and take it back to the school. Another thing they don't tell you is that you will immediately recognize your own faults in the lives of your kids. Right? And you will see those things that you really don't like about yourselves, and you will immediately see them in... What you want to do and what you find yourself doing is trying to correct it out of them. Now, sometimes that's for good intentions because you're trying to help them avoid mistakes that you have made. But sometimes it's, are you really trying to get it out of them? Or are you just not recognizing it needs to be cleared out of your life? I'm a little bit of a procrastinator. Eli is a major procrastinator. Now, the truth is, that's probably reversed. And so my attempts to get him to do his homework immediately when he gets home is just my attempts to tell myself, do that kind of thing as well. And what Jesus is saying here is, before you jump to judge, make sure that what you're judging is not something you need to deal with in your own life. Make sure it's not something that you need to take care of at home first. Remember Jimmy Swaggart, don't you? Televangelist. Jimmy Swaggart in the mid-80s was one of the most outspoken preachers against sexual sin. Talked about it almost every week. And yet, we found out that Jimmy Swaggart was mired deep in sexual sin. Well, one commentator after that came out said, well, apparently Jimmy Swaggart needed to be preaching to himself and not his congregation. And a guy responded to him and says, don't you think he was? That he was so strong against it because he was preaching out of the guilt of what was happening in his own life. So Jesus looks at these people and says, now listen, if you make value assessments about right and wrong, Make sure that you have removed from your life the things that might be inhibiting you from seeing or not seeing correctly. And be careful when you step out to make that differentiation. James 4.11 tells us that we should never step out with anger or with um, kind of a heart that is 
trying to condemn. Brothers, don't slander one another. Who one speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it. That sometimes we're real critical of other people just because we can't get a hold of what's happening in our own hearts. You, you remember the story of King David, right? Has a adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, has her husband killed, goes for a while without that. Scripture tells us that while that's happening, the bones within inside of him are weary and drying up because of his guilt over his sin. Then the prophet Nathan comes to him and says, Hey, let me tell you this story. There's this guy who had tons of sheep and this other guy that had one sheep. And it was like their pet. And this other wealthy guy comes across and says, Hey, I want that sheep. No. And he steals the sheep. And then he takes the sheep and he won't give it back. And he kill, you know, all tells this whole story. And David, who knows deep within him what he has done, comes out and says, That dirty, rotten, filthy Man, you ought to be shot. You ought to pay back four times. That is ridiculous. And Nathan just looks at him and says, David, you are the man. So be careful that when you step out to make judgments, that you've spent some time with the Lord in your own heart. Here's the last thing. That we should be seeking restoration when we see someone in sin. The key to this whole passage is not don't judge. The key to this whole passage comes in verse 5 when he says at the end, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So clear your own self and then you'll be able to help your brother or your sister in walking with the Lord. It's important to understand that the Sermon on the Mount was spoken directly to Jesus' followers, not to general population. In fact, um, we ought to be careful with the words that we use and the things that we say to people who are not believers in Jesus Christ. First of all, we can't expect them to act like they are believers in Jesus Christ because they are not believers in Jesus Christ. And so for Christians to expect a lost and dying world to act like they are believers and followers of Jesus Christ is ridiculous but when we speak to one another we ought to make sure that what we're seeking is restoration when we speak in the public arena we must be making sure that we aren't speaking to make a point but that we are speaking to help bring people closer to god and to do that we've got to make sure our vision is clear uh, towards the end of the 19th century there was this famous astronomer named sir percival lowell And Sir Percival Lowell read observations of an Italian astronomer suggesting there were canals on the surface of Mars. And so he decided he was going to build an observatory in the best place possible to view these canals on the surface of Mars. And so he moved to Flagstaff, Arizona. He built an observatory. It's known as Lowell Observatory to this day. He was so fascinated, he spent the rest of his life mapping the canals that he saw squinting through his telescope. He was convinced the canal saw crisscrossing on Mars were signs of intelligent life. His theories gave range or gave credence to a wide variety of people that Martian race that once lived there or does live there. The problem is modern space probes have now gone and found there are no canals on Mars. The question is, well, how did he see them? 
they have now discovered that they think Lowell, in doing all of the research, had a rare eye disease. That when he put his eye to the telescope, he literally saw the blood vessels in his own eyes reflected in the telescope. The Martian canals he saw were nothing more than bulging veins in his own eyeballs. The eye condition today is known as Lowell's Syndrome. And it serves as a reminder that sometimes we can't trust what we see if we haven't been properly aligned with what God is doing. Galatians 6 says this, If someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Watch yourself. Don't be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? It's simple. Love God and love your neighbor. So let me give you four quick suggestions about when you see someone who may be stepping out of what is God's design for their life, of how you can speak to them. First of all, check your own heart. Make sure that it is clean and pure before God. That doesn't mean perfect. That doesn't mean you got everything wiped clean. It doesn't mean that you put off for 15 years confronting someone because, oh, I've got something. But just check your heart, check your motivation. Make sure that you're attempting to reconcile, you're attempting to redeem, you're attempting to, um, to restore and not hurt and point out and criticize. Once you do that, then speak to the Lord. Talk to the Lord about this. The, the first place you should always take a concern about a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, a fellow church member is you go to the Lord. Say, Lord, I, I need your help here. I need to know what to happen. I need to know what's going on. But don't leave it there if the Lord convinces you it's something you need to move forward. The third thing is to have a heart for restoration. Before you go to the person, make sure that your heart is set on their restoration. Now, let me just say a quick thing here first. If you have a real concern about a brother or sister in Christ and you have taken it to the Lord and they convince you, and he convinces you that it is time to take it to the person, the only person you should take it to is the person. Not the person's friends, Sunday school teacher's brother. Not your Sunday school class prayer chain not your best friend at lunch. I just have some questions about how to handle this situation because so-and-so has gotten themselves in a mess. You need to be proactive about that. And then you need to judge with grace for restoration. I read a story about a, a small southern town that had a revival week. And at the revival week, the town's most notorious female sinner came and accepted the Lord. People were all excited about that. We were so proud, you know, came up, gave her the right hand of Christian fellowship, watched her baptized, excited for her to be a part of the congregation. Until, working in a ministry, she met the pastor's son. And she and the pastor's son hit it off. And about nine months after they met, they decided that the Lord had called them to spend the rest of their lives together. There was nothing wrong with their relationship. There hadn't been any impropriety or 
semblance of that. And so he asked her to marry him, and she said yes. And the telephones lit up. Well, do you know what she used to be? Well, I remember this one time down on the corner when I saw her. And do you know what she was like? And it got to the point that they called a meeting of the church to discuss whether or not this pastor's son ought to marry this girl. Now, as ridiculous as that may sound, haven't we all heard of churches meeting for less important causes? And so the meeting began, and almost immediately some saints of the congregation began to explain the sins of this young girl. And after about three people spoke, the pastor's son got up and just said, let me ask you two questions. First of all, are you bringing that information up to help encourage her in her faith, or are you trying to destroy what the Lord has already done? And the second question I have for you is this. Do you believe that when she accepted the Lord Jesus as her Savior, that he forgave every one of the sins you just mentioned? Or do you think he just forgives yours? He and the girl left. Some of the church didn't like that. That's okay. But the point is the same. When you see time to explain to someone else about what you see in their life, and there are those times when as believers and brothers and sisters in the faith, we ought to be able to look one another in the eye and say, you are messing up here. Quit. Stop it. Get moving. Go talk to your wife. You make the first move with your child. Quit going to that place. If you play with that fire long enough, you're going to get burned. There are those moments when it is true and right and just to judge in that way. Just make sure that you're ready. One of my favorite shows on television is a a show called Friday Night Lights. It's about high school football in Texas. I lived in Texas for three years. They take football seriously in Texas. High school football, they just built... Susan taught in a district called the Mansfield Independent School District. Most of you here have never heard of Mansfield. Mansfield just built about a 40,000-seat football stadium for their high school football games because they need some fans there. All right? Beach, they, they seat around 30,000, 40,000, right, Johnny? Minus, minus 37,000, all right? They take it seriously. But this the story of Friday Night Lights is they're following this coach, and it's in its final season, and, and – uh, in the first three seasons, he was the coach of one team, and he moved. You know, it's TV. got to move. Can't have the same thing five seasons in a row. But in the first three seasons, before they ran out onto the field, he would gather the guys together, and he would say this phrase, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. The guys would chant it back to him. You know, typical football locker room scene. Everybody gets fired up, and they go out and whip them by 40 points, Right? That's not a bad little slogan. The can't lose part, maybe we can lose it. But then when it's time to speak to someone else about what we see the Lord not doing or wanting to do or that they're failing in doing in their life, that we come with clear eyes. We've gotten the plank out. 
And we come with a full heart ready for restoration. And we come to them and we present to them the life that God intends. So the Bible does say don't judge. But there's a lot more to it than what most people think. All right? Here's what I want you to do. If you've got one of those that you think we need to cover in the next three or four weeks, one of those phrases, misunderstandings, email it to me, write it down and hand it to me. Um, we got a couple of others that we're going to do. Next week, I think the one we're going to do is um, um, everything happens for a reason. All right? We'll talk about that, what the Bible says about that. And if you've got one of those, okay? Somebody mentioned earlier, what about money is the root of all evil? That's one of those that's out there that's not actually in the Scripture that way. Okay? So if you've got one of those, you can email it to me. You can Facebook it to me. Tweet it to me if you tweet. Or just hand me a piece of paper or tell me face-to-face, all right? 